we're going to talk about Jonah. Everybody knows the story of Jonah. It's one of the most well-known Bible stories uh, that there is. And one of the things you'll know, I have a little sneaky thing I'm going to let you in on, what I try to do every Sunday. And at the beginning or near the beginning of every message that I deliver, I try to give a, a reason for uh, and give, try to give you a purpose, like answer the question, why should I listen to this? Why should I stay awake? How is this message going to relate uh, to me? Does it apply at all? And I, I want to answer that question. I'm going to do it just straight off because this is just the way the story unfolds for uh, Jonah. If you've got your Bibles, we are going to be <clears throat> spending a lot of time in Jonah. And if you could open up to Jonah 1.1, we're going to go ahead and get started. I'm going to be re reading out of and put up here the NLT uh, translation for you this morning. So Jonah 1, 1 through 1, 3, it says, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. Verse 3, But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. So my question is, is there anybody in the room besides me who God has said, get up and go do something, and then you went in the opposite direction? You did something other than, and maybe not missed it by a little bit, but you kind of went completely the opposite direction. So if that is, uh, that's me, if that's you, then this message is definitely going to relate with you this morning, you see Jonah, instead of going east about 500 miles into Nineveh, which is uh, in near modern-day uh, Mosul, it's right across the Tigris River in the north part of Iraq. Instead of going 500 miles to the east, he buys a ticket to go west 2,000 miles. So that's about 2,500 miles worth of disobedience. That's like from Los Angeles to Charlotte. It's a huge, huge Huge thing. And you see, uh, and why would you know, Jonah do that? Because after all, he is a prophet of God. He is somebody that's anointed and specifically chosen to be God's voice. And the, the main reason is, is that Assyria and Israel are mortal enemies as nations. And Israel had suffered tremendously at the hands of the Assyrians. And one of the largest cities, and maybe the capital city, one of the capital cities was in that nation was Nineveh. And Jonah's anger had risen. His offense was so great that he didn't want to give a warning to Nineveh because he was afraid they'd do what? They'd repent. They would change their mind. And then he knew God. He knew God at that point would extend mercy to them. Hi. <laughs> oh, that's, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Sorry, somebody I haven't seen in a couple of years. South Korea, and she's back. All right. Anyway, where was I? Yeah. 
Okay, opposite direction. Okay, so Jonah doesn't want to go ahead and give God's warning because he's afraid that the people are going to repent. And because he knows God so well, he knows God's going to extend mercy to these people that he just can't stand, these people that he hates. And he wants to see them. Because of his nationalism, he wants to see Assyria and Nineveh wiped from the face of of the earth. In his opinion, anyway, they don't deserve God's mercy. And what I want to suggest to all of us this morning is that we all have a Nineveh in our lives as well. We have all got people, we uh, either close or far away, that for some reason, uh, in our anger or in our offense, we feel a group of people has done something so wrong, so wicked, and we're so mad that we can't even pray that they would get saved. We can't even, we don't even want to go there and ask God and be used by God to go to bring them in right standing uh, with the Lord. So we all have our Nineveh. And here's the thing that we have to learn and be careful how we see things. Because God had a vision for Nineveh, but Jonah had his own vision for Nineveh. Lord toast him, right? And once we get these differences uh, of vision, these differences in the will of the Lord and our own wills, then we can see the wrestling match begins. And this is really the rest of the story of Jonah. We'll see how this wrestling match uh, takes out, works its way out. Jonah 1.4 says, he went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish and he bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Now, uh, Tarshish is a long ways away. Like I said, it was 2,000 miles to the west of where he was 2,500 miles from where God had intended him and wanted him to go. But, jo but Jonah isn't dumb enough to think that if he goes just a little ways down the road, that God's not going to notice that he has a bad attitude and he's being rebellious. He feels and he thinks that it's to his great deception that if he goes far enough down the road that God just won't notice, that he can escape the presence of the Lord. And just like we all have our Ninevehs, you know, we all have our Tarshish is, is in our lives too, don't we? We all are under the deception that some way, somehow, if we get far enough away, God's not going to notice. So some of the things that we would never do in our own house when we get out on the road business trips, conferences, and different things, all of a sudden it's okay. It's not okay at the supper table, but out on the golf course, let it fly. We all have a thing that says if we can get far enough away that God won't do it but, or, or notice. And Jonah ends up running out of sight, out of mind. Have you guys ever heard that? phrase I want to tell you with God neither one is true Psalm 139 8 says this if I go up to heaven you are there if I go down to the grave you are there the point is that you cannot escape but especially if we're a new covenant believers we know that we carry the very presence of God 
within us. God has placed his spirit within us. So what, what are we going to do? Like you, Every step you take, everywhere you go, all of a sudden you know that you have taken the spirit of the Lord, God's personal presence, with you. There is no escaping. It's a great deception, but, but, but sometimes we play the game, don't we? We move in that uh, direction. So Jonah ends up running from God, but as he's running from God, he ends up running into God. As he's running from, have you guys ever found that? You start running from God, looking back, whoosh, got it made, boom. All of a sudden, you know, there, there he is. And he hops on this ship headed for Tarshish. And then God brings this huge storm and blocks Jonah's escape. And because Jonah has shared with his crew that he is running from his God, even though the crew members don't know Jonah's God, all of a sudden they begin debating and praying, and they ask the God of Jonah, a God that they don't know, for mercy because they feel that the only way out, once they've tried to row back to shore, is to throw Jonah overboard. So get this. This is a God that they don't know, but they... They know Jonah's story. They know that Jonah tried to run from God. The storm came. They tried to row back. They couldn't do it. And they're left thinking, well, the only thing we can do is throw this guy over. But we don't want to make this God angry. This God controls the wind and the waves. He's not like the other gods. They throw him overboard. And you know what happens? The storm stops. And Jonah 1.16 says, the sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice, and they vowed to save him. So not only were they saved in the natural, but they were also saved spiritually as well. And it didn't even matter that Jonah was being rebellion, and he was just kind of being a hardhead and having a bad attitude in the whole thing. In spite of that, God saves uh, the crew members on it. They worship, and they vow to serve them. They give their lives to the Lord. And in the meantime, Jonah is sinking deep. And in verse 17, now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. And God, quite just quite frankly, he supplies a miracle. If you want to try to do the research and prove that um, there's a fish big enough to swallow a human being and a human being could actually live inside of the fish... Uh, you know what, I'll just direct you to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if you can get through and believe Genesis 1.1, then the rest of it's really kind of a piece of cake. It doesn't even really matter if there is a fish big enough and if, uh, you know, if a person could survive. But the thing is that God supplies a miracle. He extends mercy. And a lot of times, and it's in a pretty weird way, I, I got to like... Who else? How could you think of these things? But God often will supply a great, uh, extend mercy to us through a miracle. And it may not be in the way that we think. And it may be at a time where we don't think it's going to happen in ways that we have never imagined. But God extends this miracle. And then Jonah begins to pray and to one. And here we're going to see that even though the storm came, when Jonah prays, everything changes. When Jonah begins to pray, everything changes. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead. O Lord, you heard me. 
And running from God, I want to tell you that, that Jonah is good as dead. And whenever we run from God, we're as good as dead. And Jonah presumes that God would never, uh, that God would have turned his back on Jonah. He can't imagine that God would do what he did. But he finds himself in a place, even though he has turned from God, running for God, that God's mercy chases him down. It pursues him even in the dark and deep places. And God rescues him. And what we find out is the fish wasn't there to eat him. The fish was there to protect him. The fish wasn't there to eat him. And a lot of times we can have storms and we see things from God like this is the end. And a lot of times it's God actually protecting us. Verse 6, he says this, but you... Uh, oh, Lord, my God, snatch me from the jaws of death. Jo Jonah knows, like, I was as good as gone. Um, as my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And so many times now, he has done things his own way. God gave him an assignment, a mission. God gave him some words to speak. And so far, he's done everything on his own. He's gone the other direction. He's tried to row back to shore. He's tried to do all of these things. And now, finally, for the first time, he remembers the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. And I will fulfill my vows for salvation comes from the Lord alone. He gets it. He understands that he has been spared that even though he expected the worst because he had turned his back on God, he ended up in a deep, dark place that God was going to forgive him. But what he found is that this God's mercy had pursued him. Jonah is probably hasn't prayed for an awful long time. Have you noticed that when you're busy off going your own way and you don't want God to notice you and all these things that at some point in time you just kind of forget to pray or you stop praying because when you stop praying, start praying, it brings God's presence into the situation, and that's one of the last things uh, that, we, that we want sometimes, isn't it? But Jonah, and it says that I prayed in earnest prayer. This wasn't some sort of half-baked, drive-by, lukewarm, worrying out loud, throw it up on the wall, hope it sticks kind of prayer, but he Jonah is crying out, and one thing as a church that we want to do is we want to be a praying church, and we are, but we're not trying to raise a culture just for people to be able to pray, but for a culture for that people will learn how to cry out to God in their time of distress, in their deep, dark troubles. Jonah has done that, and they have gotten very real... <laughs> Things have gotten very real for Jonah, and he responds the correct way by praying, by worship, by giving. And I want to ask you the question this morning, are you in over your head? Is there a situation in your life, and I want to tell you, do as Jonah did, pray. And you may be saying, well, yeah, but it was kind of my fault that I ended up in this situation. Jonah is the, the, the most awesome proof that we have that God wants us to pray, to continue to pray, even if you've brought it on yourself, even if it was uh, something that you have done. The bottom line is our God is a God of second chances. Jonah prays and, and worship. The fish actually spits him out, or depending on your translation, of course, we're having chili, but he pukes 
is the literal word, pukes him out. So, uh, I don't know, I imagine like little pieces of sushi. <laughs> Can you imagine? We always sterilize the Bible, you know, the Bible stories, and everybody's like kind of this and that. But I just imagine he's just probably like a wreck. See, we like just, just a mess. Anyway, so he's there. And then don't you know, as he's sitting there smelling of fish guts and all of that, that God asked Jonah to go to Nineveh a second time. And what do you think he said? <laughs> yes, Lord, I, I'm going to go. And this time, uh, verse 3, 3-3, uh, three, three, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. So now keep in mind that Jonah was so against this place, and now he has to spend, he doesn't just go in and just do this drive-by uh, word and just shout condemnation to him and all that. He actually has to spend three days looking around, walking around that city, deciding if he is going to obey God or not. If he is going to say what God said and only what God said, or less than God's, what God said, or no, or not say anything at all, or get back on a ship and try to escape. But he's got three days to do it. And then, but it says, it took three days, and on the day that Jonah entered, he shouted to the Lord, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. And the people of Nineveh, Believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. Based on their repentance and based on the fact that they changed their wicked ways, God extends mercy. Now, I don't know about you, but if I went and God gave me a couple of sentences to say or whatever he gave me, and I said it, and it was just me alone by myself, and it was a city of 120,000 people. Nowadays, I don't even know. Like, that was a huge city in the day. Maybe it would be a town of a million. You would go in and obey God and say something, and the whole place would get saved. I'd be pretty pumped. Would you be excited? Would you be like, yes, Lord. Well, Jonah is still kind of struggling in his heart, and he says this. Well, the Bible does. Let's see. This is Jonah 4.1. The change of plans greatly upset Jonah. <laughs> oh, really? Now, here's what I want to say. As we're going through this account of Jonah and through this scripture, as the listeners today, who are we in this story? I want to suggest to you that you'll get the most out of what we're going to talk about today if you see yourself as Jonah. That God has extended mercy to somebody that you don't quite think deserves it. That they have uh, repented, that they heard the word, and all of a sudden they've changed and God is blessing them. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say <laughs> I left home <clears throat> that you would do this, Lord? Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran to Tarshish. See, now he's exposing that, that, you know, that Jonah really has an, an issue of the heart in this thing, doesn't he? I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Do you all know that about God? 
Do you all know that? And he says, just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. And the Lord says, is it right for you to be angry about this? Again, Jonah has a vision for what should happen with this town, with these people, with this nation of Assyria. And even though it totally glorifies God, heaven falls on this place. And if you read this story, it's, it's an easy read. You'll see that even the animals are like repenting. They're dressing everybody up in sackcloth. From the king down to the lowest person, everybody in between is in a state of mourning and repentance and looking to glorify God. And there Jonah sits. If you're going to be merciful to my enemies... Just kill me. And here's where Jonah got it wrong. Jonah's message, a lot of times we get called and we have a mission, we have a role to play, and then we want to add something to it. Jonah's mission, his role was as a messenger to simply go and speak. He was not called to be the judge. When God gives us a role, a specific mission, stay within that. Don't add anything. Don't mix the things that are sitting uh, not right in your heart, in your heart with the, with the mission, and then have it come out, and then we'll end up a little bit more like Jonah. And I want to tell you what the, the thing is, is why would I be talking about a guy with an attitude on the Sunday after the elections? And the heartbreaking thing is that we can put the love of our nation over and above God's love for people. It's okay to be a patriot. There's nothing wrong with it. We are going to celebrate Veterans Day. Come Memorial Day, we're going to buy poppies and pass them out to support them. But I'm talking about extreme nationalism, hyper-nationalism, when it gets to the point where it gets in the way, like that group, those people, all these types of things that gets in the way of the love of God, I want to tell you, we have to get rid of it. And here's the message that Jonah should have learned. Because Jonah, I want to tell you, when he got rescued, before he began to pray, Jonah was at his worst. I mean, we want to believe a lot of great things about men and women of God. And could, could you believe a, a worse attitude for somebody to have, especially a pastor, especially, you know, one of God's chosen and anointed, than to have the attitude and the actions that Jonah had? And I believe that this is the message that Jonah should have learned, and this is the message that, praise God, that we can learn today, is that we have to believe that God rescues us when we are at our worst so that we will be willing to go and rescue others when they're at their worst. We have to believe that God's mercy is powerful and great and that he will come and rescue us. I, I want to tell you, maybe you can't. I, God rescued me when I was at my worst so that I would know that I could go and I could help rescue people even when they were at their worst. 
Exodus 33:19 says shows this is God's heart and he says this for I will show mercy to anyone I choose and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. It is totally up to God how he extends. It was up to God whether to extend mercy to uh, Jonah. It was up to God whether or not to extend mercy to the sailing crew that, you know, moments before didn't know him at all, but he saves him to provide an escape for Jonah and to provide mercy for the city of Nineveh. All of these were God's choices to extend mercy or not. And we have been extended mercy today, and the mercy uh, of God has a name, and his name is Jesus. That's how his mercy is extended to us today. It's extended to us in order that God's great mercy could be extended through us. His mercy is extended to us so that it could be extended through us. Um, you know, Jonah, because of his attitude, he, he wouldn't forgive the people of Nineveh, but God can and God did. And God's mercy triumphs over Jonah's judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So, and there's another thing. The other thing I want to talk about, don't get frustrated when God doesn't toast somebody that you're mad with, okay? That you've written off, that they've done the one thing that you could forgive everybody else for this, but you just can't forgive this one thing, or you can't forgive that group of people, or you can't forgive the people that voted this way, or the people that voted that way. Um, it says this, Second Peter 3.9, that the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. Right, as, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake, for my sake, for your sake, for the sake of the world. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. He wants everybody to have the thing. If it would have been up to Jonah, that place is nothing but just a pile of, of rubble, fire and, and brimstone. But because of God, it became a place of life. It became a, a place of, of worship. And we have to look at it. How are we being like Jonah? Where are we withholding grace? You know, Micah 6, 8 says to love mercy. Do you love it? I mean, we all love it for ourselves, right? Jonah was totally pumped. He wasn't mad at himself once he got rescued from the fish, right? He didn't say, Lord, I just didn't deserve it. Toss me back in. I'm so disgusted with myself. No, he was like glorious. Amen. Awesome. Lord, I called out. You answered. He's so excited. He is celebrating mercy for him. But when it came for that same mercy to be extended to Nineveh, what happened? He complains. He gets angry. So as believers in this nation, right, and we're going to say that actually our highest citizenship isn't as Americans, and I know maybe there's some Canadians here, uh, but our highest citizenship really is in heaven. So if you want to be nationalistic about something and hyper-nationalistic about something, be that towards the kingdom of heaven. And it says this, first, yeah, awesome, right? <laughs> and I don't care whatever the level of shock or joy or rejoicing or sorrow or anger or disappointment 
or whatever else that any of us felt as believers, we are first of all citizens of heaven, and we are going to follow <clears throat> the biblical mandate, the, the, the teaching of the apostles in guiding how we are going to respond as a church. And it says this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses um, 1 through... Yeah, 1 through 4 and then verse 8. It says this. I'll, you know, I'll just read it right up here. I want this to really soak in. Okay, this is the standard that's set. It's not, this is not opinion. This isn't the way it should go. This is, this is the, the, the standard that has been set for us because we are believers. It says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Whoa. I want to tell you, if you take that word all and you break it down into the original Greek, you know what it means? It means all people. Pray for. It doesn't say pray about. If you pray about people, right, you will be open to criticism. But it's when we pray for people that we release blessing and that we get blessed. So don't pray about all people. Pray for all people. Ask God to help them. That's so good. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. You see this thing is just ratcheting up. I was getting stuck right on verse 1 before I can even take my breath. Now, all of a sudden, I have to give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings. Do I need to translate that? Who this is speaking out in our day, in our age, in our country. Pray for kings, our leaders, and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. And then we'll go to verse 8. Maybe we won't. There it is, verse 8. This is good and pleases our Savior who wants, what, is he, what does God want? Everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. You see, a lot of times we, we catch ourselves praying for leaders because we want them to do what we want to do. We want them to do what we want them to do. We want them to align with our political system, our political beliefs, but that is completely and utterly off the table. What God is interested is in saving our leaders, our Congress people, our, our council people, uh, everybody who's in authority, that this is the main thing. This is why we pray. This is why we act in a certain way is so that they can understand the truth. And in every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. Are we willing? I believe this is like our Jonah message for that. Are we going to run and go the other way? Or are we going to embrace this so that we won't be a place of controversy? How do we work this out? There's a lot of, uh, of great ways. I know that there's some people that are wearing safety pins because they want people to understand that they're for people that might be afraid, you know, for minorities, people that might feel uh, that their interests won't be served. And I want to tell you, we have a ministry uh, with Ann Crawford Caterpillar Ministries in a trailer park. There's a ton of at-risk kids. In fact, probably, would you say, 70%? 
75% minorities. And it's hard to get in a car and hear kids talking about the criminals that are coming to their house to rip them out of their homes. And we have a way to get involved. And, and God was, I think, believes he's telling us is don't just safety pin a garment, but safety pin your heart. We, I want you to talk with Ann afterwards. There's tons of ways. Don't just wear a safety pin that maybe they'll somehow see it some way, somehow. Go there. Go to dad's house and tell, get in front of a little one and say, no, this is not happening. God is a God of mercy. We are for you. There's a, a place you can go. That you will pray for them, that you will help protect them. Safety pin your heart. Anyway, we're going to bring the worship team up front. And let's right now, let's deal with this because I, 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 I know that, you know, the book of Jonah is in the Bible for a reason. And that's because uh, there's some of us that we can get caught in the same thing. We can have the same issue of the heart that Jonah has. We have the same uh, a lack of vision that it's God's will that none should perish. To pray for everyone, to pray for all, that they would come and know and understand, that they can be just like Nineveh, that they can repent. So that's why we talk about the guy with an attitude that got swallowed by a fish <clears throat> the Sunday after election would you pray with me